This is Doriel Lalier, and you're listening to episode 26 of the Before the Man's podcast. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7-Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the Cashflow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. But whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location-independent, you've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now your host, DeRay Olalaye. What's going on, B-Team community? DeRay Olalaye here, and glad to have you guys back for another episode of the Before the Millions podcast, where we literally talk about your investing and your business needs to help you achieve the ultimate lifestyle design that you've always wanted to achieve. On this episode, guys, we're speaking with international entrepreneur, Black Belt, (laughs) and real estate investor, Damien Lupo. Now, Damien's real estate investing journey started almost 20 years ago, and he bought his first rental with a Visa card, a $6,000 cash advance. A few weeks back, Damien and I had dinner in Dallas, Texas, along with the CEO of Interview Connections, Jessica, and the COO of Interview Connections, Margie, and the CEO of Profit Boss, Hillary. And we all had a a great time. We had had a splendid time, but it was really fun getting to know Damien. He he kind of he's one of those guys who who's seen success before plenty of times, and then who's also seen the bottom. It took him five years to build up a $20 million portfolio with 150 properties, including houses, apartments, buildings, condos. And he literally lost everything. He went from $20 million to zero. He lost everything in the 2008 crash, and he was able to rebuild that. And it's those entrepreneurs who who have seen the bottom, who have made it to the top and seen the bottom, who, who are a bit more fearless than the rest of us because they know that they have what it takes to make it to the top. And they're able to shed light and, and talk through experiences that, you know, we may come across or we may encounter. And otherwise, we wouldn't know how to handle those experiences. And we would think that this is a time to give up or this is the time to pivot. But when you have somebody kind of sharing with you their life experiences and sharing with you what they did during the bad times and how how they would better mitigate towards those bad times, I think that's really, really invaluable. So amazing stuff. Again, this is one of the better episodes that we've ever had. And it's more so an episode based on mindset, based on values, based on adding value and really changing your perception of what you think is possible. And I think that you guys are going to take away a lot. I've taken away so much from this episode. As you guys know, every single episode for me is a learning experience. I'm able to ask questions to these super successful entrepreneurs that I don't typically get to ask. And it's so cool because you and I were both able to kind of sit in and dig into these entrepreneurial minds and literally just kind of extract anything that we want. And that's what we did today with Damien, guys. We asked him so many awesome questions and he gave us so many awesome responses. And literally, he motivated me and I hope he motivates you, but he motivated me to take action on certain things. And you guys will see what I mean once we get to the interview. DeRay's tip of the week. So what's your value? Who are you? Who are you to people? How do people perceive you? How do you perceive yourself? How does your perception of yourself and other people's perception of you play in the workplace? Do you communicate effectively? Do you know how to communicate to different personality types? How do you know what type of employee to hire? Let's say two employees have the exact same skill set, and now it's based on personality. How do you know what type of personality best matches with yours? These are all very valuable, very valid questions when starting or operating a business. And the more you know about your personality and the more you know about other people's personalities, the more you 
kind of start learning what meshes well with your personality type and how you can turn from creating something that may yield you a thousand viewers or listeners or dollars or whatever it is to something that could possibly yield you 10,000. If you formulate the right team, one plus one doesn't equal two, one plus one could equal 20. And that's why I think it's super important for you to know who you are and what your preferences are and that of others so that you're able to kind of select the right team members, you're able to work with the right groups, you're able to approach a situation based on the personality type that you're approaching. And that'll really, really go a long way in, in team building, in goal setting. It's funny, there, there can be one, two, or maybe even three operators of a company. And if they don't all have the same exact goal, no matter how smart they are, no matter how driven they are, no matter what their expertise is, no matter how many successful companies they've launched, if these three executives are not on the same page, they don't have the same goal, they don't mesh, their, their vision doesn't align, then the company is doomed from the start. So one of the personality tests that I'm actually looking to take this week is the Myers-Briggs test. And it's a it's a 16 trait personality test that, that literally outlines what your personality is. And I haven't looked into it too much, but I've heard previous guests talk about it and I've heard many mentors talk about it. So I'm, I'm looking into it now. So if you guys are interested in taking this particular test that I'm taking, it's the Myers-Briggs personality test. And what I'll do is I'll just go ahead and drop a link to it in the show notes. And, you know, I'm doing this so that I know exactly what I'm up against. I know exactly how to match personalities with my personality. And I think that'll make for a more fruitful business. So there you go, guys. That's this week's tip of the week. And now your feature presentation. Today, I'd like to welcome Damien Lupo to the show. Hey, Damien, how's it going? Hey, man, it's good to be here. It's going so good. <laughs> loving it, loving it. Where are you speaking to us from today? I'm coming to you from the Red Rocks of Sedona. Sedona. How do you like it out there? It's very quiet. It's very zen. I've got some otters in the backyard. So apparently they're the playful animal, which is good. Sometimes I think we need to have more play in our life. And so these guys are just <laughs> twirling around and splashing all the time. So it's a good place for me to be and create. I love that. I love that. Well, for you listeners who have not heard about Damien or who or who don't know who Damien is, Damien is a real estate, I guess, investor. And you're also kind of in the in the lending industry now, but you're a real estate investor and you began almost 20 years ago. You started with your first rental property and I think you bought that on a Visa card for a $6,000 cash advance, Damien. That's it. Yeah. 6,000. Yeah. I was, I think it's a terrible idea for everybody. It was a terrible idea for me, but it is what I did. And this is the beautiful thing about doing things when you're you know, 20 years old, you have no reference for anything. So you just do things like, Oh, I can charge a house on my credit card. Good idea. Really? That's incredible. Like a lot of people, they come up with these blockages, I guess, these reasons why they can't do stuff. And obviously there's nothing that can hold you back. If, if you have a goal and if you're looking to achieve something and you really want to achieve that goal, I feel like there's nothing that can hold you back. And you were in a position in which it looks like you wanted to get into a rental property. And I don't know if you had the money or if, there, if you just felt like using a Visa card, but it seemed like that was one of your only options and you found a way to make it work. Yeah, this is the question I was asking back then. And this is what I, I've heard one of my mentors say for years. And instead of saying, I can't do that or I can't afford something, my question was, how can I afford it? And I definitely did not have the money. I mean, I was out of college. Well, I dropped out of college, I think the first time when I was starting my real estate stuff. And so I had some student loans and I, I had very little cash, maybe $1,000. And my question was, how can I do this? And so I started looking for resources. And for my first resource was my visa card. It was the bank. And, and so we can, there's other options for, for getting started with whatever we want. But I just asked that one question. It proved to be a very powerful question and a, a equally dangerous question because when you're creative and you're driven asking, how can I afford something? You end up with planes and trains and Ferraris and crazy stuff because you keep thinking, oh yeah, I can keep creating this. The problem is you never really asked the right one, which is, should I afford this? Yeah, right, right. So let's take it back a little bit further than that. Let's talk about why you even decided to get into into rental property investing. Let's talk about college. And you said you dropped out. What was what was your mindset back then? What were you doing? What path were you on? And how did that all kind of change? I was following the path that I was told was was the right path. I was following conventional wisdom. And really what I was doing was making other people happy because I think a lot of times people suggest things because they don't want to see us hurt and they're the right, they push the, the path for us to be on. That's the right path for them. And those were fine for them. And so I was doing those paths, but the problem is my soul was dying. And so going to college and being an engineer or working in the military made perfect sense for my family. 
but it wasn't my path. I was thinking up bigger things, how to disrupt things, how to create wealth, have a totally different lifestyle. And that went, it really ran in, in conflict with what everybody in my life thought about and how they looked at life. It was very different, which meant that I was having some really big conversations with myself because I couldn't have them with other people. And that, I think that's a hard thing for people that are entrepreneurs that don't come from families or, or environments that have those type of people and entrepreneurs, investors around because you, you, you look like a crazy person. Yeah. Ultimately, I had to start going out and listening to different people, different ideas. And it was funny because I, I took a sort of kind of traditional job. I started an insurance agency, which is not exactly tra traditional, but it was a big company. And I remember switching from that to real estate. And the reason I did that was because when I looked at the most successful insurance agent in my, my company, he was a guy that was making about a million bucks a year. And he vacationed all the time. And I said, huh, a million bucks a year is not that much money to work 20 years for. So I said, where is the money? And the money to me was in real estate. It was, it was just, it seemed like it was unlimited. And so that's what I was looking for. Unlimited, wherever I could take something, that's where I wanted to go. I did not want caps. I love that. I love that. And you say that you didn't really have many examples in your life that most people were going the traditional route. So what, like, what kind of implanted the, the seed of, of change or of entrepreneurism in, in your mind to have you start you know, looking for resources and, and guidance in that area? I think this probably started back when I was, I was like 11. And a lot of people talk about financial freedom. I mean, back at 11, I was just financially frustrated because <laughs> I wanted to play video games and I, I, I couldn't afford them based on my parents saying no. And so I said, this is a problem. I'm frustrated. I'm going to solve it. And so I was always looking for other ways to do things. When I found out that I could buy and sell games and create value for both other people buying and selling them, and then I could play all the games I wanted, I realized this is a better model than working for five or $10 an hour or $50 an hour. I can create value with my mind and it's truly unlimited. So I think when that seed got planted and I realized I could do a transaction in a half an hour and it might make me 500 or $1,000 at 11 years old, there was no way I was going to be able to go get a check and be okay. Like my soul would yell at me and it would, it would rip me out of that thing. And that's ultimately what happened. I just, I tried to go down those paths and I was really doing it for other people. I wasn't doing it for me. If it was for me, it was for the security because I was adopting other people's fear. And the truth is, there's not much to be afraid of. I mean, we're, we're not going to have a saber-toothed tiger come and eat us if we make a mistake. And that's what most people are afraid of because they're primal and they don't realize that they're going primal. But they, once they wake up, they're like, oh, wait, there's really nothing out there to be afraid of except for that fear. Amazing. Amazing. So fast forwarding a little bit again down your journey. Now you're, you're at this insurance agency and you're kind of looking at, you know, what two paths ahead of you? You know, do I want to become guy A who makes a million dollars a year, goes on all these vacations and so on and so forth. But you see that that amount, even that, that amount, which may be significant to a lot of people, that wasn't your goal. Your goal was much higher than that. So what did you start doing to kind of get yourself in place? Yeah. And, and I think this is, it's an important point to bring up that a million dollars a year is a lot of damn money. I mean, let's be honest. Most people would say, what are you crazy? But the problem was I didn't totally have control and I'm big on control. I'm, I'm big on freedom. And I didn't have that. I couldn't create what I wanted. And pretty quickly when I was going down the road of, of closing on my real estate, my rental property, my district manager got wind and he said, you got two choices, buddy. This road is, is coming to a T and you can go left or right here. You can't do both. And I said, well, I guess I'm going to go take my own path into the darkness and figure this out. And all I really had was some books. Like I had read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I, well, I was, I was signed up for seminars, but I really had nothing other than this crazy book about, you know, some kid and his two dads. And I mean, I, <laughs> it was, it was like insane to throw away an insurance agency, but the most powerful things in our lives happen when we're willing to make a choice and go into the darkness. It's the, it's the hero's journey. It's what Joseph Campbell talked about. Until we're willing to do that, we don't really know what's out there because we're following somebody else's path. We're not, it's not even our life we're going on. I guess you have this path that in some instances or some people's eyes, it may be glitz and glamour, making a million dollars a year and going on all these vacations. And then you have this other path in which you had a, a $6,000 visa card and you're trying to buy real estate and that path can lead you to millions of whatever, just however wealthy you want to be. But it started with that $6,000. So how did you think that that path was better than the other path? And, and what did you start doing down that path? What made you decide that, hey, if I invest $6,000 today, I'm going to make way more than a million dollars in the future? What were you doing? I think I bought into somebody's idea that you could have a bunch of property and not work and you could do whatever you wanted. And it seemed really appealing. 
probably part of that was because I didn't really love the insurance space. Like a lot of people, I was doing work that I just, I wasn't in love with. It wasn't my heart. It wasn't my soul. There was no real passion there. I enjoyed the people, but the truth is we all have something that we're supposed to be doing and we may not know what it is yet, but if we stay in the security space, we're never going to find it. And so I remember moving into the real estate space and getting this first house. And then I ended up buying a couple more where I just took over some payments and I was like, okay, cool. I own three houses, having a good time. And about five months later, I was looking at a balance sheet and it was after I played cash flow, Robert's game. And I did it on my own life. And I realized I was about a month from going bankrupt because I was doing the fun stuff. I was learning how to roof and electrocute myself in this house and how to tear plumbing out of a wall that flooded the house. Like I was learning all these cool things. And I wasn't actually selling anything. I wasn't completing the cycle of value. And when I wasn't doing that, I was destroying my own value or my ability to maintain my life. And when I saw that, I saw I was 30 days away from bankruptcy. I said, oh, wait, what am I doing wrong here? I got it. I need to return the phone calls. and I need to do what I know, what I've been told. Like I knew what to do, but I wasn't doing it. I was sabotaging myself. And I returned all the phone calls. And not only did I get rid of those three houses that month, I bought eight more. So I had 11 houses in 30 days after I realized that this, whoa, I'm about to go off a cliff moment. And, and from there, I just took off. And, it's, and that's where the, the crazy stuff started to happen. And it's where it almost took on a life of its own because I realized I could just do more and more of the same. It also turned out to be the biggest problem in my life because more was my answer and my solution. It was also the problem. So before we get to why it was the problem and when it was the problem, I, I'm assuming it was a problem around 2008. Let's talk about the good times. Let's talk about all that time leading up to that. What were you doing that, that started causing the problem? All I was doing was doing the same thing over and over again. It's funny to me how often I, I've seen myself do this in, in years past where something works and so I go, great, I'm not going to do that again. So I go do something else. Like, why, why would we do that? In this case, I ended up doing the same thing over and over. I was buying houses. I was going to seminars, learning how to tweak it a little bit. But basically, my business model was to keep doing it over and over again. And it just allowed me to have a lot of choices for anything in my life. Eventually, I ended up getting the really cool car that I saw in a movie and and having that big, shiny lifestyle. And it was it was a lot of fun. There were moments where it didn't seem like it was a whole lot of fun, like when I remember falling asleep in my well, not at my desk, under my desk, because I was working 20 hours a day because I created so much chaos. It was a mess and I didn't know which, I had no idea what was happening with my numbers, my books. And so I spent about a year just trying to figure out what had happened the previous three years. So you can create so much that without any systems or intelligence or the right team that it just creates a big mess. And that's clearly what I created. And then I had to move through that. So that was, that was a big part of this that I'll never do again, but I needed the lesson. Let's kind of talk about how you were able to get yourself out of that. And what, what time period was this in? Was this, was this around the early 2000s? Yeah, when I moved into that space, it was like 2003. I opened up an office and because I was working out of my house. I opened up an office. I hired some, some people. I brought in a full-time CFO. And, and she spent a bunch of time trying to figure out what I'd done. And it was basically making files and, and just sorting through the mess. I was really good at doing things. But there's, there's a lot of indexes like the Colby that tell you what you're great at. I'm a great quick start. There are certain things I'm not really good at the follow through to manage things. And, and what I needed was somebody on my team to do that. So she came in and got everything organized and I got up to date. Once that happened, and it took about a year, then I was able to say, okay, this is, I, I get where I'm at. But it was also the moment where I realized, wow, I've created a lot of more. And what I mean by that is when I looked at my actual books then, so the first time I looked at it was like five months in. And then I looked at my books about five years in, and this is like 2005, and things had been going really, really well. So, you know, I had my Ferrari and I, I was selling houses, making like a quarter million dollars some weeks. And it was, I mean, net, like in my pocket. And, and then I did my, my profit and loss, my personal financial statement, and I realized I was burning. My overhead was $75,000 a month. And I said, that's a million bucks a year. And I, I go, I, I mean, I got a cool car. But a million dollars a year, like where the heck is all this money going? And this, is, this was a big pivot for me because I realized that in retrospect, that's where most people are. They don't really realize what their money is doing and they're chasing something and they're basically, they're not in control of their lives because they don't really know what's happening numbers wise. And that's all the work I do now is, is really making sure that we're clear on that so that we have control of it so it doesn't own us. 
That is amazing. So let, let's talk about the transition out of that. What was your most, I guess, at your most lonesome or, or worrisome, the bottom of the pit, your entrepreneurial moment in which you were just like, this is enough is enough. I have to figure this out. I have to change this. And, and that's when, and maybe that, I think that that may have been leading up to the crash. So it might, you might've been hit with a double whammy, but I'll let you explain that. There's two moments. There was, there was the moment in I want to say it was like 2007 where I realized that I had, I had all these projects. So I had condo developments and apartments and I had like seven different projects, a $4 million house next to the Bush estate in Maine, like all these things. And each one of them was going to clear after the investors made money, after at the end of the thing, each one was going to make me about a million dollars net. So I'm thinking this is good. Within a year, I had this moment of looking at the markets, looking at my projects and realizing not only are these not going to make a million, each one of these is going to cost me at least a million out of pocket, this is a problem because my net worth was like 5 million and it got worse. So it went from wiping out my net worth to taking me negative 5 million. So within about 18 months, I was upside down about 5 million bucks, lost the $20 million portfolio. And you would think that'd be a good moment to say, wait, I need to change something. But I did what a lot of people I think do, or maybe I'm the only one, but I said, oh, everything's fine. And I just lived my life. The problem is I was living a lie and I wasn't really learning what I needed to learn. And that happened a couple of years later when I got fired as a volunteer and realized, gosh, I'm not really being honest about who I am and really what I am. And it was in that moment when I acknowledged that something internally had to hugely shift, that I had to create what I was going to create based on values and not just more money. That's when things completely took a different direction. It's when I did a 180 and, and really started shifting and building what I have now, what I do now. It wasn't just, hey, if I have more Benjamins in the bank, all is good. Like you can have millions of Benjamins and you're still hollow, shallow, freaked out, scared, and dead. I love that. So what do you mean by value? What do you mean by having more value and adding more value? Well, so it starts off with having values. If you're going to create value for people, you have to come from value. And, and so I had to actually figure out what the heck I was. Like what, what, what made me up? What, what was I making decisions from? And once I figured out that my, my main values are self-responsibility, transparency, relationship, those three, just those out of my six core values, really led me to reassess what I was going to spend my time with. It wasn't, I could no longer go to a job just for a paycheck, just for a roof over my head. It needed to be something that was going to impact people because we have these six human needs and two of those are significance and contribution. And for many years, I was focused on the certainty need and, and that's what most people focus on. It's called security. And it's, they think, we all think that more money, cash flow is going to create that security and we, we ignore other stuff. And what I realized is that the security is, is created as a side effect by focusing more on the significance and contribution by impacting others. The more you do that, which really allows you to sing, like whatever it is that you are meant to do or be here, that creates that contribution. And all of a sudden, the security, the variety the love and the connection, those other needs that we need that we have to have are all filled and you have a life that's complete versus this like one out of six type of thing that most people do. That's an interesting concept, Damien. And, I, and it leads me to wonder, you know, a lot of people are, are working their nine to five so that they can have that security so that they can figure out what it is that they want to do. And some people kind of do it the, the opposite way. They figure out what it is that they want to do so that they can maybe have that security. What, what would you say is the best way to go about kind of figuring out your path and what you should be doing? I think once we're conscious that we're fixated on the security, we can start asking, okay, which part of this is security and which part of this is feeding my ego? Because for many years, I was feeding my ego. There's nothing that is needed in terms of a quarter million dollar Ferrari. Like that is not a need. It becomes a need once you have it. You're like, well, I need, I need to have quarter million dollar cars. But it's a want. And what we realize is most of the stuff that we consume is a want. And because we think it's a need, it traps us in focusing on the security to pay for all these, these things that we think are primal, that they're, they're there for our basic survival. Once we can peel those away, and this is why it's so important to get really hardcore about your numbers and really understand, is this a need or is this a want? Because when you peel it back, you realize, wow, I actually have a lot more time. I have a lot more energy that I could focus on something else that's really gratifying and fulfilling. What I was focusing on was success, not the fulfillment. And it's because I made so many things requirements you know, like just the amount of money that I was spending required me to spend a lot of my time. I didn't have my time to go create things and impact people in a meaningful way. It was more just on a hedonistic consumption way. And that's beautiful, Damien. So how did you go about doing that? Now, now we're here, you know, you've experienced life at your lows. So what did you start doing to kind of transform your life and, and start being of value and adding value? 
it started with one question. The question is, what is true? When we ask that question, there's a problem with the question. Sometimes we have no idea where to even go with it because we've been lying to ourselves for so long. We don't know what the answer is. And that's where it helps to have somebody that can hold space or maybe ask the question and, and dig a little deeper. Once you get to the point where you're, when I realized I was, I was answering the question with a lie and then I said, okay, what is really true? What is really true is I'm a teacher. I'm a teacher and I've been through things that where I have emotional and cellular DNA that allows me to, to see things and smell things and almost have like x-ray vision on, on what's really going on because I've, I've felt the pain. It's not an academic thing. And so I realized teaching is important to me because I can come from a place of actually having done these things. So my entire focus now is on teaching. It's about teaching more people. It's not just about teaching one person or two people. It's about teaching as many people on this planet and empowering them with the confidence. And that is not money. It's the confidence that you have the ability to create. That's freedom. Money in the bank, cash flow from a property is never going to create the freedom that actually having the confidence will. And so my entire mission in life is to break the money bondage that people have and develop their confidence muscles so they can go out there and truly be free. I love that. So what's the platform that you use to teach these concepts? So one of the things I started doing, like when I melted down and lost all this money was I was, I, I was writing and I, I got all this stuff out of me and I realized, wow, this is, if I'm really honest about this, it'll be impactful for other people. And it's right in front of me. So I can't make the mistake again. If I'm staring at it and it's staring back at me, it's really helpful because you tend to not want to do the same thing where somebody can say, Hey, you wrote this thing. Why did you do it again? So my method is, is to continue writing and, and sharing these lessons and the, and the processes. So like when my friend Chris and I, Chris Ashby and I wrote Reinvented Life, it wasn't just a story and it wasn't just a how-to book. It was a story with the how-to go through the same process wherever you are. And so that's, that's the work that I continue to do. It's, it's diving deep and really doing root canals. I mean, it's, it, there's a lot of, the way that I look at these things, it's, it's like a medical procedure when you want to go deep and it's not necessarily fun or pleasant. But the truth is, if you want to change something, it's like if you're 100 pounds overweight, you got to change something and it's not going to be fun going to the gym every day and changing your diet. It's going to be fun to sit down there and eat your, your bonbons and your Doritos and your beer and watching football. That's probably going to be a lot more fun. But if you want something massively different in your life, you got to be willing to look at the truth and do things different. And that's, that's what I do. Find ways to deliver that product with the books, like the books that are coming out in 2018. They're teaching people how to build large companies from scratch and how to avoid the dumb things that I did. It's called Unicornomics, you know, how to build and blow up a billion dollar company. And then my money mentor is really all about the money psychology and the tactics to get you past this whole fixation on if I have $5 million or $2 million or whatever the heck the number is, I'll be happy and I'll be safe. It's all BS. It's absolutely BS because you can have that money. I've seen plenty of people I've worked with where they've got two or 3 million bucks in the bank. And guess what? They're scared to death. They're going to lose it because they don't know how they got it. That's not freedom, man. That is panic. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So maybe talk about some of the contents in that book. What are some of the tactics that, that you would recommend? Well, I mean, really, we have to get down to the core of what it is that we want in our life. And we have to figure out what we're doing right now. I mean, the first thing is acknowledging it's, it's called the law of awareness. I always like to tease people that focus on the law of attraction. And I say, you realize that the bag of money that's going to fall from the sky is literally in front of you right now. You're just, you're seeing right through it because you're not aware. And so we start focusing on what they actually are sitting on, what's really there and what they're doing, because most people are unconscious. So it's a process of digging into what's true, what's true about your spending, what's true about your life. And oftentimes I find that people have a lot more resources than they even realize. There, there was a, a guy that called me a couple of weeks ago and, and he said, okay, here's my situation. And it, he just unloaded on me. And I thought, this is amazing. This guy is totally opened up and he's vulnerable and he's got $5 million pretty much liquid and he's afraid to quit his job and he wants to travel and paint. And I, I'm thinking, what are you afraid of? You're, you're sitting here and you even know how to make do investment properties. If you spent your principal the rest of your life, you're going to die with cash in the bank doing the things that you love. It was between his ears. And so it's asking those questions. And that's, that's what the book does. It just keeps asking the questions so that you can see. You typically are going to have the answers inside of you if somebody asks the right question or if you do. And so that's what these processes are. They're, they're asking the different questions. It's one of the processes I'll take people through is, is their, their eulogy. And that is asking people to take like four different people in their lives, people they work with, their family, their community, and asking them to write in, in those other people's, in the way that they would look at the person that I'm working with, what would they say at your funeral? And if you wrote it from their perspective, 
what people kind of realize is that, dang, I need to step up my game. I need to focus on these relationships more. There's more contribution, more significance that me having more money in the bank isn't going to do crap. And I don't want people to say these things at my funeral. So it's a really practical, very quick process to get people very present on what they're doing so they can make shifts instantly. I love that. It sounds like a little bit of both, but is it more of a philosophical approach that you're taking and asking these questions or is it more of a systematic approach? Like you have steps like highlighted out for people to, to kind of flow through. There's definitely steps. It's there are questions. Some of them are, are big and open-ended and other ones are really, really direct. I mean, when we talk about money, it's numbers. When people, I, I had the conversation in Europe a few years ago with a guy who turned out to be a very good friend and he was pissed off at me when we started talking because he was telling me about how great his business was. And I said, that's fantastic, man. So cool. He goes, yeah, we're profitable. We're making like 30, $40,000 a month. And I said, awesome. You've been doing this for a while. He goes, yeah. And I said, man, that's cool. Like how much cash do you have in the bank? He goes, no, you're not paying attention. You're not listening to me. I'm profitable. And I said, man, how much cash do you have in the bank? And he said, you're not getting it. You're just, you're, I don't know, man, you're not listening. And the next morning he came down, he goes, you really pissed me off, but I realized I got a problem. I don't have any cash in the bank. So it's very, very straightforward. We drill hard. And sometimes it's really just asking the question, what matters to you? And other times it's saying, what are you not looking at right now in terms of what you're doing with your money? Because your money really tells a story. Oftentimes people, people don't like the story it's telling. They'd rather just not go into there. So they pretend it's a different story. Okay. So let's fast forward down your journey, your, your path a little bit more. In 2008, 2009, you come to this, you come to this awareness, you know, it's about the law of awareness, not the law of attraction. You come to this awareness, you start shaping up, you start changing your life for the better. You're still obviously invested in real estate, but now you're more of a teacher. You're more helping other people. What, what's the next business that you start after that and kind of transition us through the next couple years of your life? something kind of strange happened when I shifted from real estate and all the real estate went away. So by this time, 2009, 2010, there is no, like, I barely know what real estate means or looks like I'm standing on real estate, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know anything anymore. And what I, I shifted some energy into was, was something that was real that I could get my arms around. And that was, that was precious metals because there's something almost magical about gold and silver. It's been money for 5,000 or maybe more years. And I started spending time in that space because I could get my mind around it. The problem with so much in the world right now is everything's, there's so many new things and there's so many things to keep our attention or distract us. And I needed something to ground me. And so there were two things that happened. I focused on that as my business. And I also focused on teaching martial arts because there's something funny about martial arts. Anybody that's ever done martial arts or yoga, you realize very quickly that if you're not present, you end up with a fist in your face or you end up on your head on the mat. And I realized, okay, if I'm going to go into the next phase of my life and really be impactful and really live fulfilled, I've got to go into a way deeper space of presence. And so the training physiologically shifting into that space required me to actually physically go into the space and be more and more present. We can all find a way to go more present. It's not in a book. It's probably in a process of something where you lose yourself and there ends up being a flow. And that's what it is for me with, with Aikido and yoga and, and Yokido. It's about losing myself and being incredibly present. That's interesting. And I'm trying to distinguish between losing yourself and being incredibly present and also what is coined as like disconnecting. You know, what, what would you say are the major differences between those? Because I find that challenging sometimes to distinguish between. When your monkey mind goes away because you're in a flow and you can tell when your monkey mind's there because you start thinking about the future and the past. And when you're present, there is no future or past. You're absolutely connected and the tension starts to go away. With martial arts, it's fascinating. The thing that I focus on with my, my students is releasing the tension because the tension is what has you focusing on what you're going to do next or what happened to you before. And the more the tension goes away, the more you sink into the presence. And that's when everything starts to open up where you start to actually hear the voice of the universe or God or whatever it is. You can actually feel it and sense it. And, and just it's almost like you disappear and you're an observer of, your, of yourself and your life. And it sounds like you really do live out there in Sedona where you have peace and tranquility. The way you're... <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's a good fitting space for this, you know, for this, this whole energy. And when I moved out here from, from Austin, Austin is cool. It's just a very different energy. It's very frenetic. And, and I think most, most of people's lives, if they're in a, a city where it's frenetic or they're on their iPhone, it's frenetic. It's intense. And it's always it's like the highlight reels of Facebook. You're chasing everybody else's stuff. You're chasing the next thing. And turning it all off and being still is one of the most powerful things we can do. And there's nothing required except for flipping a switch. 
That's amazing. So for, for the listeners who don't know where Sedona is or, or what kind of paint a picture of what, what it is, what it is that you're looking at right now. There's a bunch of red rocks and there's, there's all these vortexes that are around here. And right now it's tourist season. So there's a whole bunch of people going about 20 miles under the speed limit, which is a little bit funny. And I noticed that even my, my monkey mind or my ability to be present gets distracted where I'm focusing. I'll get upset. I'm driving down the road. And I'm looking at people going, why don't you speed up instead of realizing, wow, if I was really present, I'd be staring at these red rocks with them and really being so grateful for this experience. We, we tend to be, and I'm thinking about the next thing. I'm thinking about where I'm going. I'm going to the gym. I'm going to do whatever. I'm running errands instead of being where I am. And that is incredible to shift into that. Okay, I'm here. And guess what? There's no problems. Ask yourself, do you have any problems right now? Like in this moment, you're listening to this, this conversation. Do you have any problems right now? No, you don't. Right in this moment, you don't. You might have a bill you need to pay. You might be, you might be sick. You don't have a problem right now. You're good. And if you can get into that space, it's, it's like, wow, it's freeing. You actually are free. I love that. And even kind of using that in, as a parallel in your entrepreneurial journey, like, you know, a lot of the times we're always on an uphill climb. We're always on an uphill climb. And if you can be present, I think that you'll enjoy that climb a, a lot more. You'll be a lot more aware and you'll be able to make a lot better decisions. So that, that's, that's amazing. So, you know, continuing down your journey, what's next? What, what, you know, how do we get to present day? What are you currently focused on? So the, the shift from before when I was focusing on, on the millions, you know, the idea of, of millions are going to make you happy. I thought if I had more millions, I'd be happier. And, and what I realized is that it was a side effect. And I, I had this idea that with the, the real estate, it's funny, back in uh, the early 2000s when I was starting, I was thinking, oh, who, who does real estate really big? Well, his name was Donald Trump, not President Trump, but like the real estate guy. Okay, I can, I can, he's a billionaire. So my idea was I'll have billions. And I'm going to go get billions. Well, my focus was on the money and it wasn't on what I was actually doing that was of value. And today I have a totally different perspective. And the perspective is that my idea of being a billionaire is impacting and raising people up out of the money bondage, a billion of those people. And that requires me to be global. It requires me to be digital. It requires me to be generous. So it's, it's making what I do and my work available to the masses. And the cool thing is we've got this thing called the internet. So I can actually do that. So my work is about taking everything that I'm going through and it's not regurgitated information. That's one of the things that makes me crazy. You get these charlatans that are either brand new or they've just repackaged somebody else's stuff and they haven't actually gone out there into the world and created their own path. I'm out there. If I'm going to teach something, damn be sure I'm going to go out there and do it first. Like I am not just going to tell you what I've heard. I'm going to tell you what I've seen, what I've felt, what I've done. And that's what I'm doing now. I'm delivering that stuff. So in the coming years, you're going to see more and more of the stuff. I'm going to deliver it. Then I'm going to go find something else to disrupt and to make mistakes on and then share those things so that people can leverage from me and not have to go through all the same stuff that I'm doing. I love that. So what are some of your, your current companies today? I know that you, you may still dabble a little, a little bit in real estate and also precious metals, but you're also a teacher. So give us like a holistic view of what, of what you control today. So all, all of the things that I do, all the different things I'm in, they're all about teaching. So every, every, every book I write is about teaching. The businesses I'm in, we have, I'm in the precious metals business and I've got a book about that. That's to empower people and give them an idea of what real honest money is. It's about the idea of, of retirement plans. And first off, let's disrupt the, the idea of retirement. That you're, If you retire, the universe says, great, I'm done with you. It's why most guys are dead in three years after they retire. So it's disrupting that thing, giving you access to tools around retirement. I wrote a book called the, the Guide to the QRP. And it's about you taking control of your retirement so your retirement doesn't kill you. And really, that, that's one of the businesses. And the primary business is, is the financial literacy. It's breaking the shackles. I mean, to me, this is modern day slavery. Our monetary system is, it's literally slavery. I mean, you see people and there's no soul. There's no, like, there's no life in their eyes. They're just tiptoeing safely to death's door. Like, what the hell? That is, that is crazy. So my idea is to disrupt that, shake people loose, give them some tools, some fresh ideas, and then send them on their way with some new confidence muscles. And that's where most of my energy is right now. You attend a lot of courses and a lot of seminars and you're always learning. So maybe talk about that. Talk about this constant growth, regardless of the plateau that you've reached. You're always, you're always constantly innovating and, and reinventing. Talk about that a little bit. Part of the idea of, of mastery, and I think there's, it's, it's important for us to all be thinking about mastery, whatever it is in our life. For me, it's martial arts and it's the ability to get through to people and, and with their financial lives. Mastery requires being in plateaus, sometimes for years, and then you have to be willing to continue going through those. It doesn't mean you're not learning. 
if you put yourself physically in places where you're going to continue to learn all the time, you're constantly going to jar you, yourself loose from your old stagnant ideas and, and the belief systems that are basically sticking you in the ground instead of allowing you to move forward freely. So I constantly stay in these spaces. I've spent over a million dollars cash on, I mean, real money on seminars and coaches over the last 15 years. And it, the reason I do that is because I'm not that good. There are way smarter people that have been through stuff. I don't have enough life years to be able to go out there and do everything. It's really important for me to have put myself in those places where I can have other people share those ideas and I can implement them. The mistake I think a lot of people make is they go to seminars, they go, that's amazing, super cool, and they don't do crap with it. So the idea is you, you always have to take these, take these events and then take at least one thing and implement it. Otherwise, you're just it's a new drug. It's, a, it's your drug of choice. You touched on retirement. You touched on early retirement. You touched on not retiring at all. Maybe expand on that. What do you mean by, by you know, not waiting until retirement and then living out you know, the next three years until you die? Can you retire now? Can you retire earlier? Or is the goal to never retire? What's the, what's the premise behind that? The idea of retirement was, was set up 100 years ago during an industrial age and an agrarian age where people had, they had machinery and they had farm animals that basically you retired, which means you buried them or you shot them. I mean, this was kind of the idea. And then when people started retiring, it was, it was because physically they weren't really able to maintain their output in these industrialized factories and things. It started there and it caught on where people said, oh, well, after you're done, then you'll have a few years left and we've got things like social security. And, and so it just continues to expand. Would then people move more into a security space where they're thinking, okay, well, I need to work really hard so I can have a safe retirement so I can actually, you know, not, not just be on the streets. And, and then that turned into, well, then that's when I get to live when I'm 60 or 65 or 70 years old. And what we've done is we're giving away the best years of our life for a paycheck to create security, to buy things we don't really care about, to impress people we don't really know with money that we don't even really have because it's leveraged. And instead, if we start asking what do we really want, we can start having these retirement experiences. I like the strategy. It's very simple. It's called book it. Whatever it is that you want in your retirement years, whatever you think that sounds amazing, whether it's traveling to different countries or it's golfing all the time, man, book it, do it now, put it on the calendar, work your life around that thing and then see. The other thing that I do all the time and my, my friend Chris Ashby said it, we, we talk about this a lot, it's try it before you buy it. So my stupid ass decided to buy a Ferrari. Why? Because I hadn't tried one yet. If I had tried one, if I had rented one, I would have said, that's cool. I don't need to buy that thing. But what we do is we, we trap ourselves into these things. We think we need to own things. And that's one of the things I love about the millennial generation. They're about experiences. They're not about owning stuff. They realize stuff will own you and they focus more on the experience. Hugely beneficial. And a lot of people in, in older generations don't quite get that. So kudos to the millennials. We recommend only the best books on this show. With that being said, we can understand the urge to read the last book you've heard an entrepreneur get excited about. Well, guess what? You can go read it right now. We've partnered with Audible, an Amazon company that produces high-quality audiobooks. Together, we are offering, and for free, a 30-day trial and one free book as soon as you sign up. So, if you've been eyeing a certain book but haven't quite been able to pull the trigger yet, we'd love to cover the cost for you. Just visit audibletrial.com slash before the millions to start reading or listening to your next free book. The link is also in the show notes of this episode at beforethemillions.com. The best real estate investing advice ever show is literally the only daily podcast that I subscribe to. And now I'm prescribing for you. The world's longest running daily real estate podcast. That's unprecedented. Visit joefearless.com slash show for the back catalog. Enjoy. Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite before the millions book? Favorite before the millions book. I think the favorite book that, that I've, I, I've had, there's a big time one, which is Mastery that George Leonard wrote. And my, the current one, I think it's incredibly important. I just read it this weekend. So it's kind of funny, it's just fresh. It's called The Internet of Money. And it's under, understanding how, because of cryptocurrency and things, how it's changing how we interact with each other. Because cryptocurrency and the blockchain are not about money. They're about relationship and trust, where you it's all about a trusted system. And it's not about people being able to manipulate anything. That changes everything. And it leads right into the whole lifestyle system of development. When you can start focusing on relationships and it's based on trust, that changes everything. I love that so much. 
What is your favorite lifestyle design app? It can be a business app or tool. I use all the time and I'm finding new ways to use it all the time, Smartsheet. And it's because there's a way to, it's, it's people we have used spreadsheets for however long, forever. And what is, is happening is there's more visual, there's better user design on things. And, and what Smartsheet allows you to do is kind of move things around. So, you, so if you're a you know, little creative side, you can start moving these cards and these blocks around and you can start to see what your life looks like and your teams look like. And it allows you to be a lot more efficient and clean things up so you don't have a to-do list with 8,000 things. It really cleaned that up as soon as we started to use the tool that was right there in front of us. Love that. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? You and I got to meet in Dallas recently. And the reason that we got to meet was because I designed my, my life with a focus on my number one priority, which is personal freedom. It's my ability to go out there and spend time with people. And it's another reason I go to, to events because you're never gonna get the same thing if you're just behind a screen or you're, you're just in your community. You're gonna miss out on the richness of the world. And the way I designed my life was to be able to spend time with people that I love and care about. So most of my friends, in fact, I have no friends in Sedona. My friends are all over the world and I bounce around and I get to spend time with them. So that's, I mean, to me, that is why I designed the life I, the way I did was to be able to connect with people. It's about the relationships. It's funny because when I first asked you or when you first asked me that question about, you know, being a nomad and traveling and dancing around, I thought that you were asking me in the sense that I was crazy. And then when I found, <laughs> found out a little bit more about you, I was like, wait, what? That's exactly what you do. That's amazing. Next question. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? You know, I had to go through the millions to be able to create millions that stuck. There's very different skills to create millions. I mean, you can go rob a bank, you can marry money, you can do a lot of things to get millions, but to hold it, to really become worth it, and to become the millions, you have to shift into, into a place where of acceptance and gratitude and of contribution. And so I had to go through the process of getting all this money and then losing it and realizing what millions really was. And it was, it was that process that, that was more important than anything, anything I did. I had to actually move through it. Love that. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? Who was essential to the growth? You know, all the people that I listened to that were before me, and this is like before podcasts, and it was when, when things were on tapes. So if you're, if you're under, golly, I don't know, if you're under 30, you may not know what a tape is, but... <laughs> <laughs> There's this thing with like this film that goes in a circle and it's like, is that a rotary phone? No, this is like a thing you put in your car and I have all these tapes now. And I can't listen to them. I have nothing to play them on. But those were the people that I spent time with the people that were impactful to me. You know, I had a mentor of sorts that I spent a little bit of time with, but that was also one of my big mistakes that I didn't go find somebody early that was only there to guide me through sage wisdom but fortunately I did have tapes. So this is like, at least we were past the phonograph era and I could have people I could listen to that had been there. So there were a lot of people, whether it was Jim Rowan or Robert Kiyosaki or Ron LeGrand or Tony Robbins, like I was getting things from these people and adapting. So the guy that you would see one day, a year later, you'd be like, something is totally different. It's because I was constantly taking what these people were teaching, taking the right things for me and then adapting and shifting all the time. So the list is long and the gratitude is deep because there were so many that influenced who I am. Love that. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention on getting to the millions? I think there's still a sense that this is that, that there's a big lottery ticket or something is it's a lottery event or that it's rigged or there's a lot of belief systems that we've heard and we tend to either sabotage or we're not really building up the confidence muscle. I think if anything, we're a lot of times we're building up the ego muscle or there's still a scared piece of us that thinks that we're not worth it. And so we tend to reject it. The fastest way to get past that is to absolutely surround ourselves with the people that live it, that are it, because we start to absorb not only their wealth, their fitness, we, we absorb their, their values and how they look at themselves, how much they love themselves. And then the more we can spend time there, the more we become these people. And it's not that we lose who we are. It's, it's that that's what happens no matter what. No matter who you're around, you're going to become them. And if you're around people that are maybe scarcity-minded or, or, or they're not living the life that you really envision for yourself, the likelihood that you're going to do it, it's so slim. You have to physically shift 
the influence. And, and so that's, that's my constant focus. Am I being influenced by the right people? And something I'm known for, not necessarily in a good positive way, but it is effective, is the evisceration technique. And I'm really good at eviscerating people that are detrimental, that are living in the past more than they're focused on the future or more than they're present. I don't want those influences in my life. And people tend to think it's harsh. But the truth is, I value my life. and I'm going to be with me the rest of my life. And if you value your life, you got to be really mindful about the influences. Otherwise, you're not going to have the life that you really want. Oh, that's that's a deep one. That's a deep one. And yeah, people are going to be offended by that, but they should definitely take that into consideration because it's true. It's true. I mean, it's your life. You're going to be with yourself for the rest of your life. So you should only want the best for yourself. That's how it you, I'll kind of leave everybody with this, that if you're willing to hold on to people that are not influencing you in the right way, that are not doing things that are not living, there's probably a part of you that doesn't necessarily love yourself very much. And I think that that's something that people aren't going to want to hear. I know that was true for me. I didn't love myself very much, so I blew up my life. And once we love ourselves, nobody can get in the way. Either they're going to get on board or they're going to get out of the way. And that's just the beautiful thing about really, really loving who you are and, and having respect for who you are. The whole world opens up. I love that. I think that goes back to kind of just living life in the present. I mean, that's how to better appreciate what's going on. That's better. That's how to better love yourself. And so, you know, living life day to day as if not as if it's your last, but, you know, being present for the moment. I think that's amazing. There's something that that really hit me a, a few years ago, and it was it's probably one of the most powerful moments in my life. And that was when I was visiting with my father about six weeks before he passed away. And I flew up to Alaska to spend some time with him, knowing he was it was coming the end. And and I, I thanked him for being in my life. And he and I cried together and he looked at me and he said, you know, there were just so many things that I wanted to do. And what I saw and what I felt was regret. And I vowed in that conversation to never have that experience on the other side. And I vowed that I would help other people get out of that path, get off that path as many as I could for the rest of my life because that was the most painful thing I've ever seen in my entire life was somebody saying, damn, there were things that I wanted to do and it's it's the end and I don't have another chance. Wow, wow. That's, I mean, that speaks for itself. That's an eye opener for a lot of people. So I'm glad that you you shared that with us, Damien. Thank you so much for that. So in closing, this has been a spectacular episode. I'm glad that you were able to come on the show. We've taken tons of value away from your story. I think that almost going bankrupt, what, twice now? Like that has, some people, you make it once and you start to, you start to doubt yourself. You start to have limiting beliefs that, oh, maybe, maybe I won the lottery, like you said, or maybe it wasn't not the real deal. But when you've made it multiple times, when you know that you've been to the bottom, you're comfortable at the bottom because you know how to provide for yourself. You know how to be successful. So I think that that's something that we can take away from your story. You've operated in seven states by the age of 27. You bought 150 houses. You grew your real estate assets from zero to 20 million in seven years. Like, This is amazing. So I'm glad that we're able to get you on. I wish we could talk about a lot more of these things, but our time together today is limited. So we'll definitely have to have to plan a part two. Damien, thank you so much. If the listeners want to reach out to you, learn a little bit more about you or your company and what you do and get involved, how can they do all of that? Come visit me at my site, DamienLupo.com. It's D-A-M-I-O-N-L-U-P-O. Come visit, grab a copy of the workbook that we talked about in the beginning, the Reinvented Life workbook. There'll be some really cool things that you can use it for. And it just asks some questions. You just download it right there on the, on the homepage. Love it, love it. And I have a copy, thanks to Damien myself. So I'll be starting that book shortly. And again, thank you for being on the show, Damien, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, thank you so much. 